I'm KCT, and this is Going Up North, the podcast where I take interesting people out on the ice to try their hand at a family tradition, spearfishing. While we wait the hours it may take for the opportunity to spear a northern, we'll shoot the shit, have some laughs, tell our stories, and hopefully go home with one in the bag. This week is part two with my guest, Trung Lee Gwyn, graphic novelist, comic illustrator, and returning champion from last season, better known by his online handle, Trungles, and we'll discuss TV shows, fandoms, common cultural touchstones, writing, and his upcoming projects, including his absolutely badass flagship tarot deck and his first ever graphic novel set to debut in 2020 let's join back up where most fun things start another conversation about star wars uh-huh. that was so cool i was like i'm like on a fucking ice planet mm-hmm. fucking hoth for sure oh yes the requisite star wars reference obviously. thank you yeah <laughs> had to be done had to be done <clears throat> I always appreciate it when people explain, oh, that is a Star Wars reference. Like, I feel like in a lot of contexts, people would find that very condescending because, mm. you know, like, Star Wars nerds like to out-nerd each other and, like... Yeah. But, like, I legitimately have no idea what's going on. I enjoyed a couple of the movies. I'm like, all right, I'm the casualist Star Wars enjoyer. I'm not even a, I'm sure. not even a fan. I'm, like, an, an enjoyer of a thing. Your most basic viewer. Yeah. I was a little bit like that when I was younger, more so with other, you know, other fandoms, but it just got to be too much. Yeah. Like, do I really need to be that into, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. am I really gonna fucking argue Cinderin Elvish syntax with somebody? No. Oh my God. Please yeah. stop. Ugh. <laughs> uh, listen, The Lord of the Rings was kind of a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever see the Ralph Bakshi animated Lord of the Rings? Is that the, like... It's the, the... weird rotoscopy one? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, I saw that a bunch when I was a kid, actually. Did you? Yeah. There were some sequences that were so beautiful, and they ran out of money so fast. Right. Mm. Yeah, and then... He, it was, like, weirdly... Weirdly dark, I thought. And even as a kid, I was like, man, that's kind of... You know, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it was just the way it was like drawn, or the way it was, like played out. But, like fucking Boromir's death is fucking brutal. Mm-hmm. I mean, as it should be, but yeah. And then the like animated Hobbit. Watched that a shitload too. Oh, I haven't seen the animated Hobbit in a long time. But that one, I remember scaring me as a child. Fucking Gollum, super creepy. Mm-hmm. Super fucking creepy. And then they made, like, some weird Return of the King one, and I never saw that one. Yeah, they didn't even make the third one. Hmm. It, it just stopped right there because they just ran out of money and interest in the studios weren't going to waste money on, like... I don't know how well-received it was at the time, but, like, by today's standards, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, you get the Peter Jackson movies, which, like, depart from the books in, like, meaningful ways, but at the same time, it was done in order to suit the format of, like, an enjoyable movie-watching experience, and they're still fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of those movies, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um, After I read Lord of the Rings for the first time, Jay and I watched all of the movies and, you know, spotted the differences, and that was fun. The movies are still really good. Yeah. I mean, Legolas does ride a shield down, like, a fucking snowboard, some steps and shit, but that's mm-hmm. okay. No, yeah. Yeah. 
It's a kid's movie. Yeah. yeah. And it's like not as extra as like the Hobbit movies, which oh, were fuck though, dude. so unnecessary. Yeah. And like I've argued about those movies a lot actually. Because as fucking trash fire as they are, like it was still a visual representation of something that I wanted to see. Yeah. Right? It, it so really, like it was it looked really nice. I didn't really you know I, yeah, I was one day, Oh, except for the melting gold CGI that was bad. I don't remember that. Yeah. Well a part of the problem was I think they like upgraded the definition. Partway through, and so like okay. the older Lord of the Rings films, like there was like a haziness to the texture of it that like lent itself to kind of cheesy graphical effects because it sort of like at least was texturally consistent. Whereas in the new ones, it was like very high def, so you could like see all of the fake things. Yeah, <clears throat> that's right. Yeah, sometimes you just shouldn't remaster things because the the wonky stuff is probably like it's an essential part of the texture because it doesn't make you think too hard about it. Yeah, actually, I was again just talking about this last night, and um, how, well, in respect to the Indiana Jones movies, ah, about how when those movies were being made, or like movies back in the day that used like built sets and like practical effects. They look now kind of hokey, maybe, mm-hmm. but they at least look like real in the context. Yeah, they look visually consistent. It had the same, it bore the same texture as the rest of the screen, right. which is important. Yeah, exactly. And so, and like my buddy was saying, now it's like you just slap a bunch of digital effects into something to make it happen instead of building the prop to make it happen or whatever. Mm-hmm. And five years later, it looks like shit. Yeah. And everyone's like, man, why the fuck would I watch The Matrix? Have you seen that movie? It looks like garbage. Yeah. It's or so, whatever. It's, it's so uncanny because, like, I don't know, like, people never really talk about the textural differences, but, like, the CGI stuff is always smoother looking and it's slightly glossier looking than the real things. And without that kind of, like, graininess of film and, like, the imperfection, it feels uncanny and like really strange i feel like we take that for granted yeah oh god damn it dude stupid dino phone if i send you like a particularly long text message will it separate it out into different sections yep (laughs) does it come at the same time or does it come individually sometimes they come disjointed and like out of order? Yes. Oh my god. Yes. Yes. That's beautiful. Yeah, right? Also, <clears throat> if you send me anything more complicated than. I'm trying to think. This is what emojis look like on my phone. So I have no idea what that was that he sent me. Oh. It could be a smiley face or a thumbs up, but I just get little boxes. Ah, yes. <laughs> <sighs> like, does not compute. So when's the like big final deadline for you for your book? Oof, I can't remember. I think it's in September. Okay. Um. I have to I have to finish all of the drawings of all of the pages, all like 
260 to 300 ish of them uh by july 1st and then i color it after that okay yeah and it won't even be in full color it'll be like uh different gradations of like a particular color with like spot colors so it'll be nice i don't like going all out with the colors with the way that i work right right and then so is it releasing next year then uh publishing date is 2020 oh really Mm mm-hmm Oh, I guess it is 2019. Yeah, so yes, duh. Wow. Yeah. So, Next, yeah, okay. So not this year, but like the fall of the following year. Okay. And then are you... So once you like submit the final, your final take on the manuscript or whatever, are you like right into working on the second one? Mm-hmm. Yep. Because we'll start laying down the deadlines for those as soon as I finish with the other book. So I have to start. I should probably start thinking about, you know, writing it out soon and like come up with some ideas. I was going to say, do you have an idea for the second one? <laughs> nope. Not a one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are a lot of stories that I, I'm sure I would like to tell, but um, right now I really want to focus on making the one that I'm working on now as good as possible because it's my debut and like I want to do a good job. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've already established that your dad is a fucking superhero, so you could just write your dad. I could. But at the same time, I would also have to draw it, and I'd, I feel yeah. like, you know, drawing a rags to riches, like boxer story in the vein of Rocky is probably not my bag of tea at the, like, at the moment. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, we'll figure something out. I want to do that someday, though. Because he, he's fucking rad. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is my mom, honestly. They're both pretty incredible people. Yeah, I wouldn't start a fight with either one of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're so sweet, though. Oh, my God. I never want to work in animation. Yeah, we talked about that last year. (laughs) Just boring, right? I mean, not just that. I mean, it's very grueling. I'm sure it's really gratifying, but, like, it's long hours and really, really, I don't know how, like, the pay is not terrible, but the work isn't so consistent, and it's, like, studio upheaval is usually, like, at the whim of executives that don't really, really, like, don't really know the needs of their workers. It's... It's a lot. Like, I have a lot of, like, I have a bunch of friends who work in animation, and they do, they work so hard, and they do so much incredible work, and, like, occasionally it's very gratifying, but, like, if you work on a really big property, like, sometimes the fandom sucks, and (sighs) it's just, I really feel for them. They're so good at what they do, and I would not have the patience. (laughs) So, yeah, man, is it, like, a difficult thing to do like uh being self-employed in the the way that you are like do you like wake up and immediately you know what i mean like is it like oh man i gotta do two pages today and then you like fuck off and you're like oh shit i'll just do four tomorrow or like oh my god i mean occasionally i've learned not to do that because it's so i like have to remind myself like this is what i've always wanted to do i should not like under any circumstances mess this up and I should you know do work that is going to do my editor proud because people believed in me enough to like support my work in a way where they want me to continue to make work and so I feel like a really strong sense of obligation in order to make sure like both to myself and to the people I work with to make sure that I produce something that they're going to be proud of Mm. so I don't really run into that that often the problem that I run into the most is like I 
get really precious about my work to the extent that it slows me down and makes me ineffective like inefficient and so i have to try to reel in the impulse to like try to nitpick and perfect everything as i go along and like be okay with things being just okay sometimes and like going back and fixing it later if i really feel like i need to but it does like the thing about my work is that it's a lot of trying to figure out ways to structure my time and my energy and even my social interactions as well there's a lot of like there's a certain process of constructing a sense of formality out of many 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 informal things um and it kind of starts with like the very meta environment of like all of comics and publishing like people a lot of the writers that I've worked with came in through fan fiction and they used to, you know, they submit stories to the forums and there was a community building aspect to it. And so it was very informal and people are all in their feelings about it. And there's this particular lack of, um, like people don't conflate professionalism with like the fan forums or anything like that. And so there is this period of adjustment for people going into book writing where they're like, where they, they suddenly realize that they have to adjust their behavior in order to accommodate a professional environment. And that is the same in comics, where we come out of it like in terms of a fandom, and we drew fan art, and we like we loved all these stories and all these same characters. And so there's this aspect of community building. And now, because conventions are getting so big, people are very excited about it. <clears throat> and so there is an aspect of like, reining that in and reminding yourself that the people that you're getting really excited with like these are your colleagues they don't necessarily like they're not necessarily your friends you're working with them first and so you have a responsibility to make sure that you comport yourself in a way that is going to be conducive to creating good work and that will you know professionally behoove everyone around you and that's something that people forget a lot of the time because you know like i draw funny books for a living so i'm going to like you know you know you know, people working around me will be like, oh, this is this fun thing. And it's like, no, you really do have to be intentional about drawing those boundaries because if you don't work in, like, a unified system, if you're a freelancer and your work is very decentralized, you have to be super rigorous about those boundaries. Otherwise, things get really messy really quickly. So I have to really think about, like, how I go about making the best thing that I can make um, and making sure that I, uh, that I'm intentional and that I'm respectful in ways that maybe I'm not used to because a lot of the work that I've had has come through, like, you know, geeking out with people. Professionalizing nerdery is still <laughs> kind of like a new territory. And it's very, like, I don't know. You hear stories all the time about creators having all kinds of, like, <laughs> all kinds of drama and tension, and and you step back and you kind of realize, like, like, oh, like, all of these people are very in their feelings about this because you all think that you are friends when, in fact, you really should have considered each other simply colleagues and given each other that kind of space. You kind of have to carry that energy into your day-to-day -day work too because it's like oh it's not this fun thing that you're doing anymore this is a thing that you need to turn into your editor and make sure that it's good because this is your job now so i really like that actually i like 
having that sense of purpose in making things that like might seem ridiculous because at the end of the day like i can't take myself too seriously but it's still you know a really particular set of skills that you do have to be very good at um pulling all together in order to make this thing nobody knows what they're doing everybody's like (laughs) trying to figure things out but i think that's what makes it so exciting Guy just doing laps out here. Yeah, has there just been somebody like just driving around outside? Yeah. Like it might be someone that like is plowing a spot open for their fish house or whatever. Mm, okay. But it did just seem like he was driving back and forth, like. Yeah, for a little while I thought it was someone like just walking around the outside of the dark house. I was oh. like, this is weird, because like it was over here and then it was over here. Yeah. I was like, oh no, are we surrounded by cranky anglers? <laughs> Yeah, the weird uh, animosity towards spirit fishermen. Is there any of that? That seems fake. Uh, there is a little bit. I mean, it, it gets depend. Like, it's more a community as a whole thing, mm. not an individual. Like, I've never had anybody say anything to me about it, right? Yeah. But there is this sort of tension between anglers and spears because a lot of blame for over harvesting is put on spears i think it's a lot of misconception about what we do actually Mm. like spearing is a very selective harvest like there are only certain fish there are only fish of a certain size like it's highly regulated and a lot of spearfishers are very intentional with their harvest. Like, I've seen more videos of spearfishermen not spearing fish mm-hmm. than I have of them spearing fish. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. a lot of guys, because again, it depends if it's like this, if it's not the size of a fish you can spear or whatever. Like, a lot of videos are just like, oh, look, there's a fish in the hole. Isn't this cool? And then, like, they'll play with the decoy. And they'll get the fish to swim around, and then maybe it'll fucking attack the fish, you know, and then they do other fun shit, and it's like, oh, look how cool this is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and there's, you know, bad actors and everything, right? Yeah. Um, but a lot of people, and mostly anglers, think that angling, fishing that way is a more responsible way of doing things because... Mm-hmm you know, catch and release, right? Mm -hmm. You can't do that here. Right, yeah, you can't, yeah. But something that isn't considered hardly ever is how much unintentional fish kill there is in angling. And I'm not passing judgment or laying blame anywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying I think both sides have valid points. Mm -hmm. But when you pull a fish up, like, super fast on a line or whatever, like, sometimes... Like, it's fucking air sac will come up. Mm-hmm. Or if you really deep hook it or whatever, you can kill a fish before it ever makes it even back in the water. But also, some of that damage is often internal. Mm-hmm. And you throw a fish back in the water, it swims away, but it dies, like, you mm-hmm. know, a minute or 10 or 20 minutes later because of something that happened there. Yeah. And that's unintentional. Mm-hmm. And it happens. And it's not bad that that happens because that fish will either be eaten by other fish or, like, decompose back into the ecosystem, you know, 
and provide you know energy for something else. But there is quite a bit of animosity, not animosity, yeah, maybe animosity towards the spears because the perception that we're out here just, you know, killing shit indiscriminately. Um, and it is sort of like a weirdo subsect esoteric activity, you know, like all oh, those weird spear fishermen, they sit in the dark, you know, like <laughs> it's not as open or, you know, I don't know, friendly as angling. Maybe I'm not sure there's some sociological aspect to it as well, but unlike fishing groups or forums, you know, like mm -hmm. there's a lot of shade thrown mm. for sure. And like, even when it comes down to like regulatory decisions, you know, yeah. anglers often are like, well, you can't let them spear in that lake. They'll ruin it. They'll kill all the, you know, and it's like, well, maybe, but mm. you know, you just got to regulate it. Yeah. There seems to be some like ups and downs, all things I'm not really aware of, but I don't right. know. Like, of course, yeah, it makes sense that people would feel really strongly about <clears throat> the way people go about doing this. That's different. Yep. Going with a classic. The old red and white for the afternoon. Alrighty. Let's see if we get any visitors. Have you traveled much out of the country? Mm, I mean, let's see. Went to Australia in high school. Before that, I went to Vietnam twice. I traveled to the UK for a convention. And that's it. Mm. Yeah. So not too much, but like, that's decent. I've been outside of the country. I was supposed to go to Canada, but then the election happened while I was in England, and then I came back, and I was like, if I leave the country, there's a good chance I might not get back in. Jesus. With the way things are going. So... Yeah, that's a fucked up reality, huh? Yeah. And I mean, like, I know that legally that's not supposed to be what happens, but, like, mm, people get held up. Like, it's just an inconvenience to be held up. That's scary in and of itself. Like, even though, like, if you have legal recourse, the fact that you have to use it is stressful as hell. Yeah. So, like, why? I would rather just stay within the borders and not do anything stressful because I need to live and, like, go about my life and not have it be interrupted by some crazy fucking laws that make no sense just i don't know so we'll see and also like federal employees are like not being paid right now so i don't know what it's going to look like in a month when tsa is actually employed and i need to travel internationally yeah that'll be bonkers huh yeah i just everything is the worst everything is the worst but at least I have Paul Bunyan and Babe. <laughs> He's so cute. Look at him with his mustache and his flannel. My ideal man is Paul Bunyan. <laughs> there are people listening, Trung. I don't know who they are. Well, I know who most of them are, actually. That's kind of the sad part, right? Oh, that's so odd that, like, I'm, like, this, like, weird, like... I'm sort of, like, a guest character in your life, and then the rest of your family and friends yeah. can, like... <laughs> <laughs> like, here's this dude. Uh... Yeah, hopefully. How do, you, how do you know this guy again? Well, he 
he dated my <laughs> friend, my roommate. my roommate, back when I lived in a cabin in Aiken. <clears throat> and now we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> Life is funny that way, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I really like that this thing goes in circles. Yeah. This lure is great. It's like this very... Like this fish has a sense of direction. I appreciate it. Can never change, though. Mm-hmm. It's always going left. I don't know. What direction is he going? Counterclockwise? Yeah, no, that's, the, yeah, that's left. That's counterclockwise. Oh, my God. I need to carve out some free time to, like, relax every once in a while. Just Isn't like, it amazing how, like, sort of unplugging from it all out here, like, feels good? Yeah, this is, like, this is great. I, like, when I try to explain to people, like, what I'm doing up here, like, because I'm not an outdoorsy person. Right. This is the last thing that anybody expects me to do. <laughs> and I'm, like, guys, I'm super pumped. I'm going to drive four hours north. And I'm going to hang out with my friend, who looks like Yukon Cornelius from the Rankin-Bass Christmas films of Rudolph. And we're going to stare at a hole in the ice for six to eight <laughs> hours. And it's going to be amazing. And they're like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. And then if I get lucky, I'll throw this giant steel trident mm-hmm. at a fish and kill it. Ah, oh, it's the dream. Well, I'm glad I did it twice last year, because I don't know that we're going to get a fish this year. Seems iffy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of time. Yeah. And yet, this is so great. Yeah, yeah, man, absolutely. Like, it's very exciting to see two perch, <laughs> perches, just swimming along, living their best lives in this lake. What's this lake called? Lake Bemidji. Oh, this is this is fucking Lake Bemidji. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh my god. Made in the uh, footprint of Paul Bunyan. Because mm. it looks like a foot, and he was a giant. It looks like a foot. Kind of. From okay, above. It sure. Has a very like. I mean, it looks like a bean. You know, if you will. I mean, Paul Bunyan was a big boy. He was a very, very big boy. We are fishing on Paul Bunyan's footprint. That's the legend. That is amazing. I really like American Tall Tales, actually, within like the pantheon of like myths and legends from around the world. American Tall Tales are really kind of cute to me. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a folksy flavor about it. Mm-hmm. Of course, at the same time, it was all predicated on Western expansionism and the destruction, the wholesale destruction of indigenous peoples across the continent. But also, you know, Disney made films out of it. That's true. That's true. And didn't Disney also make a movie called Pocahontas. Oh my god. Just saying. Hmm. I'm excited about all of the cartoons. All of the cartoons? All of the cartoons. 
Cartoons are good. Cartoons are really good these days. That's actually true. <clears throat> yeah. What are you excited for? Well, I started watching Shira on okay. Netflix because it's uh, it was animated by DreamWorks and it is really fun. It's really good. It updates the Shira mythology in really refreshing ways, and like it's just like the voice acting is really fantastic too. The animation is pretty consistent. Like, I feel like DreamWorks really could have spent more money letting the animators, like, flex their animation muscles. But it looks good. And I'm, like, it's only 13 episodes, but I'm, like, most of the way through it, and I'm having a good time. So that's fun. Like, kids' properties are a lot of fun. Um, I have not gotten into Voltron, because the fandom for that is intense. Uh, in ways that I am not sure I will ever be prepared for. <laughs> so I kind of stayed away from that and I'm like trying to keep quiet about all the things I'm really excited about because it's like too much. People get real riled up over over imaginary characters. And I'm just trying to have fun. Right. Because it's a lot it's so beautiful and like really well put together and it's just like craft wise so so advanced. I don't know. And like, people still are just shitting on it, or what? I mean, people feel strongly about it because they love it, ostensibly, but, like, they're, short, they're just shitty to each other about it more frequently than I'm comfortable with engaging. Mm. I fell out of, um, of uh, superhero comics completely. I have not read a single superhero comic in two years. I think that's been a positive. I mean, you know what? I really don't know. I might just be at a point in my life where I feel like these stories really aren't my dish anymore, mm. which is fine. Like, people, if people seem to like them, they will keep making them and finding their audience, and their audience will shift every once in a while, and I just happen to cycle out. You know? It's just, it's really hard to keep up with, like, who's writing what and, like, what the voice will be like, and, like, character designs change all the time, and I just can't, I don't have the energy. Like, I would rather just, like, read a whole thing that is consistent all the way through than see a series change hands five times. I, I never, like, I'm, I, I think we talked about it last year, but, like, I don't, I have trouble keeping up with comic books when they change artists, too, because the whole tone of it changes, and, like, the decisions that they tend to make are different, and so that lack of visual consistency really bothers me in a graphic narrative so i can't keep up with it i like fall out as soon as the artist changes gotcha yeah yeah but people are doing really interesting things i'm glad they're all, it's all happening is there any media you're excited about hmm man i mean i i really don't get that excited about shit anymore like is that terrible no it's hard to keep up and also just lots of fatigue yeah man like the last thing I got really excited for, I was, like, super disappointed with, so... What was that? Um, probably Infinity War. Oh, okay. Yeah, that wasn't great. Like, god damn it. They shoved aside all of my favorite characters and went with the old guard. And, I don't know. And I just, like, everyone wouldn't shut up about how fucking great it was. I don't know that it was that great. I feel like people weren't that excited about it. Like, everybody saw it. Right. But, like, you don't go into Infinity War thinking, like, oh, I'm going to be satisfied with this narrative experience. It's like, oh, no, it ends on a cliffhanger, and it's basically just a precursor to the big event that's happening this year. Which I don't care about. 
Yeah. Now, you know, it's like, ugh, do I really... I mean, like, I do, because, like, they got rid of all my favorite characters. Sure. Sure. But I just don't know if I, you know... I don't know. I'm starting to get that way with Star Wars, since we keep talking about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, tell me about that. Like, as someone who's, like, been a fan of it for a while, like, how is that? I think, like, The Force Awakens... Was awesome. Like, oh, that was super fun. I was like into it. I was like, "Fuck yeah, Star Wars!" Yeah. Like, this is like right. This is what's up. Mm-hmm. And then I'm Rogue totally One on board with this. See, we disagree on that. That's I don't r- think it was. That's terrible. right. That's right. We talked about this last year. Yeah, I think it. W- I liked it, for the most part. I t- I like again in like my fandom, mm-hmm. my personal fandom. I took like quite a bit of issue with the way that it ended, mm-hmm. where everybody dies. Well, Didn't we know no. that was going to happen? No, 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 no. Or what, in the way, mean, like, the like, ham-fisted romance that was added in at the very end. That was not a developed relationship. No, and I didn't... I honestly thought that that, like, to me, that played not so romantic. Like, I, I mean, like, I thought it was half-decent because, like, it seemed like that's the way that that was going to go, and then it just kind of, like, left it. Mm-hmm. But no, the way that it, the way it ends with like them escaping on that ship, right? Like it, you know, Princess Leia's there, and mm-hmm. they have the plans of the Death Star and whatever. Um, just seemed to contradict the feeling of the very first film. Mm-hmm. Like the opening of the very first film feels like the end of a very long. Mm-hmm. Search, yeah. But the end of Rogue One, it's like <clears throat> there, their ship went. Get them, mm-hmm. so you could legitimately start Episode Four right after that. Mm-hmm. And it would like dovetail so nicely. It's like there's no time in between those two things, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, where yeah. to me, I don't know. So that just kind of bothered me. Like, what really? Mm. Yeah. Although Vader being a badass was badass. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and so then I was like, you know, and then, so after The Force Awakens, they were like, we're going to do all these other movies, and I was like, eh, really? And then I saw Rogue One and was like, okay, all right, I see, that's mm-hmm. fine. And then The Last Jedi came out, and I was like, yeah, I fucking love Star Wars. And then I was kind of disappointed with that movie. I didn't love it either. I like the new characters that they added, but they underutilized all of them. Right, and I feel like they even underutilized, like, established characters from the force awakens they really did like i feel like a problem was it was with it is that we were really attached to the character dynamics of the force awakens and so you expected finn and poe to hang out some and like ray is like gonna be like a part of the little group now and you're excited for those relationships to develop and then they all went their separate ways they don't talk to each other for the entire movie and it's like what is the point i was not here for this Mm -hmm. and it kind of feels like both rogue one and the last jedi i feel like it's mythology building for the sake of mythology building as opposed to this being like a narrative experience where you're supposed to be invested in the characters and watching their relationships blossom and grow with each other like that's not a thing that happens it's just a series of rather unfortunate events in space yes and I just like I took issue with a lot of I don't know I mean dude two spaceships traveling through space at exactly the same speed and like that's what your print we can't catch them. <clears throat> they're going slight. They're going. They're. They just started ahead of us. 
You know, like, what are you talking about? What physics consultant did you use? Uh, I don't get hung up on any of that stuff at all. Like, I don't care about the details. Like, everything is happening because the story demands for this to happen. And that's how they have chosen to build the tension. Like, I don't get nitpicky about hard science in my science fiction at all. I don't care. But, like... That was pretty basic, dude. I don't even think I'm going to need to call that hard science. I, yeah. I, I, it, it's just not a thing that I really cared about. But, like, it sure. also was done in such a way that it made me... It took me out of the experience a little bit. And I don't know. I am... I'm I'm really good at suspending my disbelief. Like I don't care. You can tell me anything. You can tell me that there are like magic space griffins in Star Wars, and I'll be like, all right. And it still did not. Like I think I was expecting, because Star Wars is such a nostalgic powerhouse for so many people. I was expecting for it to hit me in the feels. Mm. But in fact, it leaned into the mythos building that the fandom had developed over a long time. So it wasn't about the characters, and it wasn't about your emotional investment in them, really. These things just happen to be happening to them, and you're sort of along for the ride. And so the whole thing kind of felt like an errand. Yeah, and, like, I'm... I use that suspend the dis... I was going to say this earlier. I use the suspend your disbelief argument quite a bit, because I think I'm I'm pretty good at that as well. Mm -hmm. Almost to a fault sometimes, where I'm like... But a lot of... Like, especially that space chase thing. That was, like, in retrospect after I saw like When I saw the movie, I was like, yeah, that was all right. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, wait a minute, though. But, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. all whiny. Like, wait, did they, me? You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, it was fine. I should probably watch it again. But, um, again, with like you say, fucking mythos building. Rogue One in the Han Solo movie, like, I know what's in those movies. Mm-hmm. When you tell me that you're making that movie, I know what's in that movie. Right, so you have to do something else that's interesting with it. Right, and if you don't, then, like... Then what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. So then, <laughs> again, huh, the Han Solo movie came out, and I was like, yeah, okay. Didn't go opening it. weekend or anything like that. I waited, like, a really long time, and finally I was like, I want to go to a movie. Like, it's fucking Star Wars. You might as well see it in the theaters. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a lot of fun. But again, like, it was what I thought it was going to be, right? Like, yeah. sure, there's some things that, like, I didn't know about Han Solo's background because I'm not that kind of power ner- But, no offense to power nerds. But, um, no. Uh, it, and so now, like, after that and with the promise now of, like, a live-action TV show and all this stuff. Yeah, it seems it's, unnecessary, it's like, doesn't what, it? Yeah, yeah, and like, how can you expect me to be like, thrilled? And, and, you know, I guess, I mean, there's tons of people who are and who will be and it will always be that way. But for me, it's just like, I have so little time to spend on anything other than, you know, living and pursuing the things that I enjoy like this. Mm-hmm. That if it comes down to, you know, doing anything else versus watching a live-action Star Wars TV show, I mean, fuck, dude, I don't know if I can care that much. I might just go do something else, you know? Like, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and, like, I used to be really into f- film and, like, get really excited for movies and... I still do sometimes, but then again, like I say, the time and the money to go to the theater and, like, watch movies, it's like, 
kind of a pain in the ass, and a lot of times you're fucking disappointed. Yeah, no, it is. A, it's a it's a much bigger commitment than it used to be. I think. Mm-hmm. And I think there's like, and now there's homework. Right. That's attached to it. Like you can participate in like a bigger dialogue, and I don't know. It's exciting for some people, but I'm just exhausted all the time. Yeah. So. I'm not yeah. sure if there's anything I'm like really super looking forward to. I mean, there's always interesting things. Yeah. I always end up finding things like, you know, through other people or, you know, yeah. drunkenly scrolling through Netflix. I mean, I'm stoked about Wonder Woman because the first movie was great. That's fair. That's a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll get on board with that. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious to see how Shazam goes, but I'm not super invested in like seeing that. Um, I'm going to see Captain Marvel just because it has something to do with the, the second half of the Avengers, and I really just want the Scarlet Witch to come back. Mm. I, oh my god. I think the thing that annoys me a lot about superhero comics is that, like, there's no way for you to really get into them these days without going Wikipedia hopping. Yeah. And so what I do always is I'll just, uh, I will pop into a Wikipedia page of a character who's, like, character design that I really like, and then get invested in that character. And since my characters tend to be, like, psychic ladies, they always, like, terrible things always happen to them all of the time. So, like, my favorite character is the Scarlet Witch. And she doesn't get enough to do and then is, like, popped off at the end of Infinity Wars. And I'm like, all right, I don't know if I'm actually wanting to see the next one because she hasn't been in any of the previews for what spoiler reasons. She's just going to be super underutilized forever. Yeah. I don't know. I have no sense of hope for any of those things because I feel like, I don't know, Black Panther was super fun. Mm-hmm. That was super, super fun and like really well put together, like on a Shakespearean drama sort of level. And Thor Ragnarok was a lot of fun in like an 80s arcade video game kind of way. But I feel like they're starting to run out of steam and scope creep is starting to take hold of their narrative process. Like, after Thanos and, like, getting rid of half of the universe, what are you going to do? So, and I'm curious to see how they're going to soft reboot it, because that's what they're going to do. I was going to say, they're going to resolve that storyline and start over. Like, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or just continue with, like, their world building, right? Like, there's fucking two... And I mean, I don't know. I don't, Fuck, I'm not even going to pretend to know anything about it but there's fucking two ant-man movies yeah the ant-man movies i've never seen the first one i saw the second one it was whatever i am not invested in ant-man paul rudd is charming as hell and i'll like try to watch him in anything but i was just not invested in ant-man and i do not i do not even like paul rudd enough to see (laughs) ant-man in the movie theaters like i don't care about ant-man right right bizarre to me i actually don't know like what the like did it help sell the comics as well either like i don't know that people care about ant-man as the as a character like i don't know any little boys who are like ant-man fans yeah i don't really think so and like is it not like uh like the film version is like the third iteration of ant-man right like it's not the original like isn't the original well, quote the original Ant Man like in the first one like or even the second one like just like the Yoda type character? Yeah, he's like the Michael Douglas. Yeah, yeah I mean like it's kind of like soft resetting it that way seems like that seems like a smart decision to me. I don't care about like it being super um 
like super faithful to the comic sure. book adaptations because a lot of those comics are ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but also like I don't know, going for any kind of realism in a comic book movie seems whatever to me. Right. You know what's really great though are those direct to DVD animated superhero movies i've heard a lot of good things about those actually yeah. yeah those are the animation is beautiful and like it's well directed and it's well designed and the dialogue is really good i mean like it's not like spectacular in ways that you expect superhero fare to be but like it's what you expect it to be and now with the spider-verse film that's out that'll i mean i really hope that that changes the way that we think about superhero films because Live-action superhero films are honestly kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you can just get away with more in animation, right? Like, you, you really can make can. them more fanciful or, mm-hmm. like, any number of things that just don't translate to live-action very well. Yeah. Or, like, it's almost unnecessary to, like, you know instruct somebody to suspend their disbelief if they're watching an animated film right like it's yeah it's like inherently already there because you're not watching real people or you know whatever right yeah yeah and then you don't have to worry about like distracting uncanny cgi because everything's fake yeah like it's great i don't know it just seems like there's been a lot of missed opportunities for really spectacular movie making just because we really want our superheroes to exist in real life right yeah, TV has been exciting, though. Oh, yeah, and you recently discovered the wonders of fucking Monty Don, dude. Oh, my God. Monty Don. Uh, I watched all of the Italian gardens and all of the French gardens. Nice. That man can wear a wicker hat. My God. <laughs> uh, and there's just, like, a powerful erotic energy every time he talks about shrubbery. He's <laughs> just very into shrubbery. Uh. Yeah, man, I, uh, I thought it, I thought it'd be funny to do, like, the Big Dreams Little Places, Little Spaces or whatever, mm-hmm. but, like, in America, yeah, and just have, like, you know, his, like, <clears throat> British austerity run up against, like, really fucking needy Americans. Yeah, just, like, very extra. Yeah, it's, like, dude. It's kind of nice, too, because it's, like, a reality show where all he does is show up, consult, and then they do all of the work and spend all their own money. Yeah. Yeah, and then he comes back and he's like, "This is nice." Right. <laughs> Good on you, Monty Don. Uh, and even when he's like mean or like critical, he's like, just has that like smile. That's like, you know, that not the best decision you could have made. Mm-hmm. But my favorite thing about it is all of the like old British ladies who are like openly thirsty for Monty Don, <laughs> and they like televise it. <laughs> They're like, "Oh, he's quite strong, isn't he?" I'm like, "Oh my god." You, I found my people, and they're these old biddies thirsty for Monty Don. <laughs> yeah, dude. So before you worked with, was it the Light Gray Lab? Mm-hmm. On that first one, what did you do, the Ten of Cups? Yeah, yes, that's the one. Um, Like, were you hip to tarot cards before that? Or mm-hmm. was that kind of what got the whole wheels in motion? I owned a deck. Okay. Um, and so, like, I kind of, like, had some like very rudimentary understanding of them um and then i think that was the project where i was like i want to draw all of them actually that'd be really cool so it was from there that i actually got invested in learning about them and trying to figure out where they came from and what they are we talked about it a little bit before and like yes yeah. all of the like fluffy woo stuff that the hermetic order of the golden dawn kind of like put on it but 
I actually find it to be a really fantastic way to get people to self-reflect and draw connections in parts of their lives that they would ordinarily take for granted. Because the deck is essentially just like a big choose-your-own-adventure, except everything is randomized and there's almost infinite possibilities for combinations, depending on how you read it and like what spread you use and which deck you're using. It's it's a lot. So it's it's nice to have something by which you could facilitate an examination of like how your finances affect your relationships and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those things where it's like every time I do a reading, I'm like, have you, like, if people have never had one before, I'm like, do you understand what you're getting yourself into? And if they don't, I have to, like, kind of explain to people, like, this is not a magical thing that will tell you your future. It's just going to be, like, like, it's going to be sort of, like, guided therapy in a way. Like, it's not therapy. It's just sort of, like, a way for you to conceptualize your life in a way that helps you place a narrative around it and better understand how you want to proceed and what your ambitions and goals are and i think that's healthy for pretty much anybody like i'm not a particularly superstitious person but i always find it to be really helpful to do that because it gives people a sense of narrative about themselves outside of what they want their own biases to yeah. Lots of background and context that will hopefully make you appreciate the deck even more when it finally drops. Head on over to trungles.com, that's T-R-U-N-G-L-E-S.com, to check out the art for it and get even more excited. Tune in next week to find out how things wrap up and what we get up to in the Dark House. It's definitely a good one. As always, thanks for listening. Tell your friends, give a like and a share, follow along on Facebook and Twitter. I'm KCT, and this is Going Up North. All right!